Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Hey, did you get more... Uh, I, I like the backdrop right now because it has yeah. a bunch of different fisks and yeah. are there different people in history with the last name fisk it's a uh it's a tire company fisk tire company um oh so they're all of the same thing yeah it's like these prints my mom bought a bunch of bun- they're this is they're like from um i want to say like the 1920s or something like that or no 1918 one says and their whole thing is like when it's time to retire <laughs> retire um <laughs> Yeah. Ah, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of, um, it's silly. I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> now, but now I'm thinking I'm going to research people in history that have, um, you know, have have made a mark on the world named Fist, and then uh, we can put their faces up behind you. And then we'll, we, and then yours should be in the center. Yours right, exactly. <laughs> Clearly, yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, what are we talking about today? Mental models. Yes. And um, I there's basically there's there's nine that you well there's a bunch that you sent me there's like a hundred but they went through nine kind of main ones and of those nine main ones we had aspirations to talk about three but after pre-talking I don't know if we're gonna get past one but we're gonna try um, because the first one is sort of fitting to that which is the map is not the territory the map is not the territory. Um, and real quick. Yes. I wanted to just, you know, for us to look back, but also for anyone that may be listening, that wants to listen, why talk about this stuff? I, you know, okay. So, and here's what, I, and I was thinking a lot about this the other day. And we always talk about that the greatest commodity, and especially you realize this as you get older, but the greatest commodity is time. Yeah. And so you want to spend your energy and your time talking about things that are going to have significance mainly in your life. The things for us that we like to talk about that we feel is of is is worth our time is going to be obviously at the top of that is is money. Yeah. Uh, or I'm sorry, at the top should be happiness. Yeah. Yes, um, that's true. This year. Uh, and then <laughs> people are like, wow, wow, Mo. Top of that should be happiness. Yeah. We talk about financial independence and freedom. And if there's anything worth thinking about after that, and maybe this should be at the top, right? Because this is how maybe you get to a lot of the stuff that we're looking for, is how to be a better thinker, right? Yes. Being a seeker of truth and how to be a better thinker. Yeah. And one thing I, I, I do want to say before we dive into these mental models that help you become a better thinker, help you... Uh, have better decision making and do it quicker is that you should constantly be replacing your models, right? This is something Charlie Munger has said is that you have a tool, right? And maybe it's a version of a hammer and that's the best tool at the time. Mm -hmm. But as you move on in life, you find out there's a better tool. So you throw out the old one and you get the new tool. The problem with some people, myself, is who I'm speaking to, is that we hold on to the tools and we try to make them work 
uh, even though there's better tools available, right? And, and this is something that I know that I've been doing and thinking. So I think that in 2022, one of the things that I aspire to spend a lot more of my time on, because I think it's going to bring me more happiness and more money, is being a better thinker and mental models. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, when you start thinking about when you start thinking about what being a better thinker is, um, that really helps you with everything. Because if you can understand the different things we're going to talk about at a better level, it will make you more successful at everything. Because everything comes down to how do you get better at things more efficiently? I mean, if you really think about that, really for anything, even the goal of happiness, how do you do that in the most efficient manner? How do you get better jujitsu in the most efficient manner? Because everything that I think that we're guiding ourselves towards in life is being well-rounded in the things that matter to us. So we want to be good at jujitsu, but I don't want to spend, I don't want to train jujitsu twice a day, every day, like what some people are doing. To me, it's just like, there's no way I have the time. There's no way my body can hang it, you know, handle that. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be around jujitsu that much. It's like, I want to do it two or three times a week and get better and still feel like I'm sharp and all that. I want to be able to do various things a few times a week and feel like I'm making progress on all of them, but I'm not consumed by any of them. And I think that's important to me. It's like, I want to make money. I want to be successful, but I don't want to be working all the time. I don't want to feel like I constantly have to work or I can't pay attention to my family or my friends or, or jujitsu or working out because I'm working too much. I don't want to have any of these imbalances. I want to have a balanced life. And I think by being a better thinker and understanding how to use you know, maps and how to use first principles thinking, I think that is possible with all things if you apply it to all things. And where I see people that are famous for being really good at it in one area of their life is that they're not applying that to the other areas of their life. So they run out of balance and then they become super good at one thing and super miserable at other things. And I don't <laughs> want to do that. I want to be balanced at all the things in my life. So absolutely, that's, I, think, yeah, I think that's why we're doing it. And the first one is the map is not the territory. And really, a lot of these things come down to the idea of simplifying something because a map is what they call is a reduction. So sort of in layman's terms, I, I looked a lot of this stuff up and there's links to all these different articles and what you sent me. And the idea is that, okay, if you had a map and you didn't reduce anything, then you would just simply have whatever the land is that you're looking at. You would just simply be there. So if like, if, you know, like a one by one, one mile by one mile area was not reduced down on this map and the map was literally one mile by one mile, it's like your map doesn't help you at all. So, so you have to reduce things. And because you reduce things, you have to start interpreting things. So that can be good and that can be bad. But there's sort of a quote by a, a statistician named George Box who says, all models are wrong, but some are useful. So um, where this comes into play, we've seen a lot of this come into play sort of recently with with COVID models and, and things like that. But but more historically, you see this a lot in like financial models. And, and Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett have talked extensively about this, where somebody's trying to maybe sell their company or they're trying to take it public or, you know, appeal to their stockholders or whatever it might be. And you see this in real estate a lot when it comes to like multifamily investments where they do these projections 
And they're like, right now it's making this. But all you have to do is these small little increments. And now in three years, it'll be making this. And five years, it'll be making this. And you know everything is always this beautiful, smooth curve towards profitability. And the problem is, is when you stick around long enough and are keeping track of how these things actually did, they almost never meet these models. You really could say they never meet models ever. Like it pretty much never happens. And it's not to say that some things don't do better than the model, they do. Some things do way worse, but ones that actually meet these predictions are almost never. So if you're looking at the idea of a map, of a sort of a, a map of economic um, sort of prognosticating, whatever you wanna say, it's rarely gonna come true. It doesn't mean that the map is not useful, but you have to sort of know what to use the map for. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yes. And it's, I think that part of it is when it comes down to investing, when it comes down to different things that are taking calculated risks, part of you has to be okay with taking that risk. And what I mean by that is that you're never gonna know in real estate, let's take the, the world that I know as real estate, you always have an idea of what something can sell for when you buy it. Sometimes you're right on. Sometimes it sells for way more. Sometimes it sells for way less. Sometimes it sells right away. Sometimes it takes forever to sell. And if you were to pin me down and say, like, I demand an answer. Why is this selling? You know, why did this work and this not work? I don't have an answer. And you have to be okay with that because what you can say is the overall trend is, you know, 80% of the time you will make money on deals or 90% of the time you'll make money on deals. And that other 10% is not going to lose so much money that you will get wiped out. The other 10% might lose money, but overall you'll still make a profit. That is a map. That is not saying that like, and it shows, okay, you're over here. You want to get over here. You need to go this way in this direction, but there might be things that are not on the map that you're not going to see. There might be, you know, a body of water. There might be a mountain. There might be terrain that you just can't pass. There may be, you know, bandits. I don't know what time is 1883. There's lots of bandits. I'm watching that show. So you might have to go around, get away from the bandits. Uh, there's going to be all these different things that if you're in the world of investing, if you're in the world of combat, if you're in the world of relationships, if you're in the world of of many of the things that you and I are in the world of, these are factors. There is chaos factors. There is unpredictable fa factors that are not going to be on this map that you have to be okay with going in. And I think the problem is, is that people want full security and knowing what's going to happen. And we're seeing this on a worldwide level right now with, with COVID, because now the government's like, we're going to change our COVID policy and just you're going to have to live with it. It's going to be endemic. And it's like for those of us who have just decided that two years ago, we're like, okay, that, yeah, we agree. But for other people, it's like freaking out. It's like, no, we, we have to eliminate this thing. We have to eliminate it completely or we can never go back to life as before. And it's like, because that's on the map. It says the map is zero COVID and that's where we want to go to. And it's like, well, that's, that's just not going to happen. And people are losing their mind. So um, I think this helps you plan out reality in a much better way, even though when you're planning it out, it's not going to be as planned out as many people would like. Does that make sense? It's like this weird contradiction of you're going to have to have sort of an outline and, and a list of things of like, okay, if this happens, I have a few options. But this idea of like everything's going to be planned out, you're going to know how everything turns out. It just doesn't work that way. 
And if you yes. look at anybody's story, it never does. And the only time people are going to make it out like it all worked out that way is through hindsight when they say, oh, well, this happened and this meant this and this caused this. And it's like you're writing history in hindsight. But when you're living through it, it's never like that. And I think that's the point is that those people that write in hindsight, what are they making? They're making maps. Yes. And then other people will look at that map and think that it's going to work for them. But what they don't understand is that the map is not reality, yes. right? So I wrote down some notes because I'm still trying to grasp these ideas of yeah. mental models deeper. Yeah. And so to keep my thoughts in line and, you know, some of the notes that I came up with was one is that, yes, maps can be useful, but they are not reality, right? Reality is much more, uh, it's dynamic and it's constantly changing. So for example, I love the 1883, right? If yeah. you take a map from 1883 and you could see over a hundred years, now that same map may not show a cliff. And if you just follow the map blindly, well, yeah. guess what? Now you're walking off this cliff, right? So this map is useful to an extent, but you have to understand that the models are built on a finite set of parameters, right? And so that's why I don't like things like what you were talking about, technical analysis, because you're using a model that's built on these finite set of parameters. And it's okay as long as you understand that you're looking at something in a vacuum, yes. right? Well, the reason why I don't like technical analysis, I wouldn't say I don't like it, I don't rely on it much when it comes to investing, is because it doesn't take into account how dynamic the real world is. Yes. It doesn't take into account black swan events. It doesn't take into yes. account pandemics. Yes. It doesn't take into account if you know Russia decides to invade Ukraine and yes. how all of these things that the technical analysis on charts doesn't show how all of these things can affect the market in one way or another. Yes. Um, one of the uh, things that I love the most, and I know you and I both like him a lot, is uh, a guy named Nassim Taleb who wrote, yes. you know, Skin in the Game, all that type of thing. Yep. And he really uses a lot of mental models. Yep. And one of the uh, uh, examples he gives is that if you were to use a map um, and we go back and we look at Black Monday, right, in October 1987, when the stock market dropped by 22.6 percent. Well, on October 18th, what would have been the model to use then? Because the worst case scenario hadn't happened yet, yes. right? Yes. And so people like Buffett, people like Munger, the reason why a lot of people say that they don't use computer models is because they always assume that the worst is yet to happen and yes. they instead plan to deal with it because they understand how dynamic things are, right? So for example, you only invest on what you can afford to lose, right? You only invest money that you can afford to lose, um, more cash than leverage, something you and I always talk about a lot. This is what Buffett preaches, having more cash than leverage, because you're assuming that the worst has not happened yet, right? Yeah. yeah. And and finally, you you create these multiple streams of income, yes. right? Yes. But, but models are oftentimes built upon, like you said, hindsight yeah. they're built yeah. from past performance yep but yep. what you need to understand is that past performance does not determine future performance yes yes because the terrain is constantly evolving and yes. changing yes. we see this a lot in jujitsu yeah people yeah. they have this map on I'll, you know what's a good example of this i was thinking about this this morning I often heard about this in boxing okay i'll give you an example 
showed up to a state championships and we're all in line to get weighed in. All the fighters are in line to get weighed in. And when, when, when you're there, you're always eyeing your potential competition, seeing who you're possibly going to fight, and you're recognizing who you've already fought and you've already beat, right? So I'll give you a, 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 an example of what a lot of people do in uh, boxing. <clears throat> and I'm sure this happens in jiu-jitsu too. So you see a guy named Bill, and you see a guy named John, and they're standing in line to get weighed in. And you look at, you have, you, Bill and John are both in your weight class. You've beat Bill, but you've never fought John. But Bill, who you've already beat, has beaten John. So you assume because you've beaten Bill, yeah. and because Bill's beaten John, that yeah. you can beat John. Right. And that's not true, yeah. right? The map that you use to yeah. beat Bill is not necessarily the map that you're going to use to beat John, right? Yeah. Styles make fights. Yep. People do this a lot of the times in jujitsu. I see this, right? Yeah. Like here is the roadmap to success. Yeah. But what you don't understand is that no two roles are alike. Yes. It's very dynamic. It, mm -hmm. the role is evolving in real time and things, what the, you're, just be, I'll give you another example of that. It's a great example, I think, in my opinion. I rolled with you, uh, I rolled with you yesterday. Mm -hmm. That role yeah. was 100% unique from every other time I've ever rolled with you. So whatever worked last time yeah. did not work this time, or you, 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 if that makes any sense, yeah. right? Because it's dynamic, the terrain is changing. So you can have some basic fundamentals, which is a model, right? Yeah. Like some fundamentals are always going to kind of work. Um, but also understanding that the um, past performance doesn't doesn't uh, automatically determine future performance. Yes, yes. And I want to follow up on the uh, Nassim Taleb uh, quote that you were talking about, because what he expanded on that even further with the Black Monday crash of 87 was that before that, the biggest crash was the one in, was it 1929? That yes, and it was only like 12 or 13%. Right. So people decided, oh, well, the worst that could ever happen was what happened back in 1929. And then all of a sudden, yes. 1987 comes, and it's, what, like 23% or something that's significantly higher than it was in 1929. So you see this in New Orleans when the levees broke. Well, everything was like, oh, this is a 100-year floodplain or hasn't flooded, you know, only floods here every once in 100 years. Well, how long have people lived here? Well, you know, 200 years, <laughs> you know, or you see like, oh, you see this with, again, not to keep hammering the COVID thing, but like, oh, myocarditis in teenage boys. Well, it's, it's one in 5,000. Well, how many boys did you test? 2,000. I mean, there's not enough time. Like you, you can't, perspective hasn't been developed from a statistical point of view. So the assumption should always be that the worst is yet to come in a way. Even, that though, is we're, it. We're, even though we're preaching optimism and happiness and all that, I think a way to optimism and happiness is understanding reality. Because I think if you're, re if you're feeling optimistic and happy and you don't understand reality, then sooner or later you're in for a horrible you know, reckoning. But if you understand reality and you have a firm grasp of what is possible, then I think you can really be genuinely happy. But part of that is knowing the worst is yet to come. Because if you had told me literally two years ago what was going to happen over the next couple of years, I mean, I just went to the store today and it's still like everybody's wearing a mask. And I'm like, it's still bizarre to me. It's still crazy to me when I see it. I'm like, this is like my entire, for 45 years on this planet, I was around and 
And then the last two years, this is what's happened with people. And it's bizarre to me, but that is the new reality. So it's like, that's, that's something that I never would have thought would happen, would happen. So understanding that just because we had the crash of 87 doesn't mean the worst is not still to come. And, and you could even say that two years ago, the worst came in terms of like, they talked about what happened in the Great Depression and how many people lost their jobs or the recession of 2008, 2009. And then in early 2020, it was like all of a sudden 20 million jobs were gone in like two weeks or something just completely never happened before. Unbelievably unprecedented. But we still have to keep in mind that is not the worst that's ever going to happen in our lifetime. And, and always keeping that mindset. And then I think with the Warren Buffett, the Charlie Munger mentality is, okay, so how am I prepared for that? Exactly. A good way of saying that, let's just take leverage real quick from a real estate point of view, because I'm thinking about this, because I've got one potential project where it's a new construction and we've got all the plans and everything like that. And then I'm looking to buy the lot next to that and change the zoning and turn this into an even bigger project. And part of me is like, what if I just combine the two together and I can just use buying the land as the down payment and, you know, minimal money out of pocket and, you know, all this and just having this conversation, I started thinking about that. I'm like, okay, yes, all this could work super well and go and blah, blah, blah. Or all of a sudden I'm on the hook for $12,000 a month, every month until I get this thing figured out, sold, rented, whatever. And what if this crash comes and it's way worse than what we anticipated? How long can I afford that 12,000 a month, assuming that this tenant lose, like, and I started thinking about that. I'm like, or I could just do the smaller one and put 50% down and now it'd be 1500 bucks a month. I'm very confident I can pay that for a long, long period. You know what I mean? Like, so, so understanding if all these things happen, are you prepared? And, and that's a good way of looking at that. And I think that's a good way of looking at your jujitsu, for instance. And you were saying with, with your son yesterday, like how you, you started punching at him from the guard and he's prepared for the worst case scenario is the idea of like, oh, someone's going to start hitting you, not even telling you. Not saying that Mo's that kind of father. He's a father who's teaching his son about the unpredictability. But still, it's it's that's that's a good way of training. That's a good way of thinking. And I think that you know when I see people in jujitsu tournaments and they're holding on to closed guard, and the person picks them up, and now they're working this thing out. I'm like, that's kind of a terrible habit to develop because you're just relying on the other person being a fine fella instead of slamming you on your head, which they could easily do right there. Like your jujitsu is not really preparing you for reality. It's preparing you for an agreement that two people are having. And I see this when someone's playing a seated guard and the other person's dancing around. And it's like, you're playing on this reality that, that okay, I'm going to stand here and dance around. You're going to sit on your butt and grab my hands or whatever, versus there's nothing holding you on the ground. There's nothing from preventing you, preventing you from standing up and running away. Like So it's created sort of a false reality. So I, I think it's a good mindset to have for all these things because that's a perfect example of what they're talking about that you're operating within parameters right and just it's okay to do that yes yesterday we did that yes but we understand that we're doing that yes it's do not mistake the map for reality yes yes and i think and it's um i'm trying to think there was one other quote that had okay yes so the last quote that uh warren buffett said i think it sums it up really nicely when the terrain and map differ, follow the terrain. Love it. Love it. And I, you know, if it's good enough for Buffett, it's good enough for me. That's right. So, What's um, next? So next, 
another Warren Buffett one, and in fact, it's a sort of a long quote that he's got, is this circle of competence. And I'm just going to read the Buffett quote, if you don't mind, because I think this yep. kind of sums it up really well. Uh, what an investor needs is the ability to correctly evaluate selected businesses. Note that word selected. You don't have to be an expert on every company or even many. You only have to be you only have to be able to evaluate companies within your circle of competence. The size of that circle is not very important. Knowing its boundaries, however, is vital. So the circle of competence, basically knowing what you know, and maybe more importantly, knowing what you don't know. And I remember my roommate in college would always talk about that. He's like, you know, people know what they don't know. And then there's people that don't know what they don't know. And that was always sort of mind boggling for me to try and think about that. But I think that. Well, when you think about something, when you think you know something that you in reality don't know, yes. then you have a bunch of blind spots. Absolutely. And this, this, I mean, and I've talked about this before, this absolutely happened to me from a business point of view and could have bankrupted me over if I continued the way I was going. And so just to sum it up, um, 2009, the, the recession happened. So I started buying mobile homes and mobile home parks and I would buy them in cash. I would do minimal work. I would resell them with seller financing. And this became a very successful business for me very quickly. And it was very fast in terms of I would buy the home. I would sell it sometimes within a week. Sometimes I would buy the home and sell it in the same day. And I was doing this in Austin when I was living here. And about uh, two years into it, uh, my wife and I decided to move back to California. And I thought in my mind, I'm like, I already know how to make money. I'm just going to go do the same thing in California. And I understood low price points, seller financing. You can increase the price point just by doing the financing because people are thinking about how much money to put down, how much money per month. They're not thinking as much about the total cost. So you can make your markup right there. And then if you're buying in cash, people are going to tend to, to willing to take less money than if you're making payments. So I sort of understood that idea, but I didn't really understand a lot of the other advantages that I had in Texas in terms of I was living in Austin. This was a time when Austin was significantly smaller than it is now. So this idea of just in terms of every deal was literally 15 20 minutes away, maybe at most 30 minutes away from where I lived. When I went to California, all of a sudden it was like, you got to drive at least an hour, hour and a half each way. And, you know, just the different logistics of things, lot rents were twice as expensive, three times as expensive. All these different things started making me realize that this model of success that I had was a little bit more complicated than I realized because I thought it was just these, you know, they, they show that little black dot in the middle and then the white dot around it. The white dot. Yeah, and I actually think this know. is also a very good example of the map is not the territory, right? Yeah. That yeah. you're using one map that you had here in Texas yes. and you were thinking that the same map is going to apply to California yeah. and it didn't. Yeah. It did not. And, and it was um, the other thing that was sort of in hindsight is frustrating is that I could have used my circle of competence to be successful there, but I was going to have to, like you said, change the model. And I was going to have to realize, okay, there's opportunity here, but it's not going to be buying and selling. I'm going to have to be the broker for deals. That's where the money is in these things. 
but I was too stubborn. I was too this, too that, even though I had my broker's license. So I, I could have done significantly better there. I was just going to have to sort of change um, my mindset on, on, on who I was. Um, so that, you know, understanding that circle. And, you know, it's so funny that you said that, right, that uh, being too stubborn, because one of the things that it talks about um, in the article that we both read and studied up on uh, when we're talking about the circle of competence is that when ego drives us, yes. that's what causes a lot of the blind spots. It does. It does. Because people think that because they've been successful in one thing, they automatically can be successful in something else. And there's the old adage about, um, you know, doctors make the worst pilots. Like when you see all these private planes that crash, it's almost always like doctors and surgeons and people like that because they're, they're, you know, they're driven, they're successful. If it's a surgeon, I already work with my hands. How hard can a plane be? I mean, like, you know, it's, it's thinking that because you're good in this one thing, therefore you're good at everything else. They call it, I think it's called the expert fallacy or whatever. When you get, you know, somebody who's, you know, again, let's say a doctor doing a, you know, an endorsement for someone on something completely unrelated to doctoring. And it's like, but well, they're doctors, so therefore their endorsement means more, but it doesn't. Um, and I think that this is something where people run into a lot of trouble and you see this in real estate, you know, somebody's doing well in residential and they go to commercial or vice versa. They, they sort of get out of their, their area of expertise. And I think one of the things that happens is people forget what it took to become an expert in one thing. So what I mean by that is that, you know, let's just take this doctor example. I mean, you're talking four years of medical school and let's say they are a surgeon, let's say seven years of residency to become a good surgeon, maybe almost 10 years in certain cases. Let's just say four years of medical, seven years of residency, that's 11 years. And a lot of those years are working 80 or 90 hours a week to become an expert surgeon. That's a long time. So this idea that you're just going to start doing something else and immediately become an expert on that because you were an expert on something else, it, it, it makes you forget all the things you had to do to get good at something. And I mean, that's, you know, we see this in jujitsu. There's jujitsu guys that I knew that were really good. And then we started getting into striking. And I remember like one guy specifically saying, well, I'm not good at it, so I'm just not going to do it. And I'm like, but well, but that's why you're not good at it because you're not doing it. If you don't do it, you're going to stay not good at it. He's like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> like he just, he just wasn't willing to pay the price to get good at something because he knew what it took to get good at this one thing. And he just didn't want to get good at the other thing badly enough to get good at it. So um, that I think is the, the real danger with competence is that we forget what it took to get competent at one thing. And then when we run into this other area of, of incompetence on our part, we almost think that just because we were good at the one thing, we can sort of skip over the learning curve and everything else. So I think part of that, the, the answer to that is something that you and I talk a lot about, which is who you surround yourself with mm. and building up a good team. And, and I'm thinking about this, you know, right now I'm working on this commercial deal. We're trying to change the zoning on something. So I've got a real estate broker who's extremely experienced with changing, changing zoning. And, and they're like, okay, well, they're going to say it should be retail. And he's like, well, I've been, I've done retail for 15 years where I find retail places for, you know, major corporations, Dunkin' Donuts, this and that. The traffic count is just not high enough for these retail. I'll show them what the traffic count is, what it would need to be. You know, so he's got this argument. And then I go to the civil engineer and they're like, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. And I'm going to talk to this person. And it's like, if I were to try and do all this stuff myself, like I don't know any of the people involved, I don't have relationships, I don't know the language, I don't know the lingo, like it would be 
overwhelming and exhausting and all this versus let me just hitch a ride with the people that are already doing it. Make sure that I'm understanding it enough to sort of know, you know, it's like, you know, when in the painting business, you're not going to be doing the painting, but you know how to bid things. So, you know, okay, this is pretty good work. This is not good work. You can recognize it with enough time. So it doesn't mean that you have to spend the time learning the thing, but you need, need to know what to look for, what questions to ask. And when you get the same answers over and over again, sort of know, okay, this is probably the right answer to this type of thing. No, I think that's a very good example of that. Let's say you're trying to operate outside your circle of competence. Yeah. You can't do that, but that doesn't mean that you still can't invest because yes. what you do is you create a circle of people who are competent in that area yes. and you can back them, right? Yeah. It's kind of going back to, you know, the idea of, no, I, I didn't go to Harvard, but a lot of people that worked for me did. Yeah, exactly. Type of deal, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and I think that um, more than anything, I think that's what somebody can get from this because I think there's the, the danger of being like, well, um, I'm only going to stick with my circle of competence, which is which is good, but maybe maybe limiting. Or there's the danger of thinking like I have to become an expert in anything in order to invest in it, work in it, or whatever. And it's like there's just not enough time. There's just not enough time. I mean, you know, it's like the idea of like, okay, I'm going to master painting. Ah, man, it'd be really good if I learned how to, you know how to put up sheetrock and tape and float and all. Okay, I'm going to master that. Uh, you know, but there's a lot of electric wires behind that. I need to learn how to wire. Like, I mean, it's there's just not enough time to become an expert on all those things. But if you learn to at least become a relatively good evaluator of what things cost, of how things should look and all that, that's going to get you, that's going to be good enough in these situations. And I think part of that is knowing when when is good, good enough. You yeah. know, I mean, they always say good is the enemy of great, and that's fine for certain things. But when you're talking about managing people and managing projects, and maybe this is just more from a construction point of view or whatever, good is often good enough and being okay with that. So, um, but yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought this was, these two were particularly good. And, and like we found out, they are interconnected too, in terms of. Um, and I think that's the, that's going to be one of the, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm assuming this is going to be a, a three or, or four part series yeah. for for the, the next couple of uh, podcasts yep. to cover these models. Yes. But I think what the point is, is that you're not using one model when you're trying to come up with a decision. Yep. You're you, you're using a, um, I, I forgot how Charlie yep. Munger talks about it, but I think it's like a lattice work of, of you're interconnecting these models yes. and using them kind of all uh, together in conjunction yep. with one another. When I was looking at the circle of competence, again, I want to understand this on a deeper meaning, you know, um, beneath the surface. And so I was taking a lot of notes and kind of the things that reached out to me is, is one, yes, when you have an ego that drives you, then you have all these blind spots. To me, that's the equivalent of somebody, maybe you saw a YouTube video um, on half guard, right? Yeah. And you don't have a strong, you, and because your ego believes, you know, you, you believe that you're very good at jujitsu and that you believe that by seeing this video, now I can go into ADCC and I'm going to work the half guard game, right? And that's just not, that's just not going to work. You should probably stay um, in your level of competence, right? What you really know. Now that doesn't mean that you can't get good at half guard, right? right. But you're going to, 
what's going to happen is you're going to start working that half guard game and you're going to get cross-faced and you're going to get flattened, which is what happened to me a lot yesterday, <laughs> right? And because you don't understand all the little nuances about, you know, what to do if somebody tries to darse you when you get that underhook around the waist or when should you go for the dogfight position and, and how do you push to, to maybe take them in another direction, you know, yeah. and how do you pull to push them in the other direction? All those types of things, they have to be worked out. Yeah. Um, staying in your lane was a big, was a big, is, is really one of the uh, big ideas that I took away from Circle of Competence. Staying in your lane, focusing on investing only what you truly understand. Yes. A good example of that for me would be John Fedra. I told you about that one time I had a conversation with him and I was like, hey, how come you don't, you know, you're very successful in investing in mobile homes, but why don't yeah. you take that knowledge and use it for apartments, uh, commercial buildings, uh, yeah. you know, industrial. And he's like, well, it's because I really understand mobile homes. Yeah. And lo and behold, three years later, I'm like, man, John was using, he was staying within his circle of competence, right? Yeah. So we all have this specific knowledge based off our own studying and experiences. And Charlie Munger talks about when you want to have an edge over somebody, figure out the figure out the areas where you know a little bit more than someone else, right? And so um, I forgot, oh, it was Tom Watson. I think he was the CEO of, of uh, IBM where he says, I'm yeah. no genius. I'm smart in spots, but I stay around those spots, right? So if you want to increase your chances of winning, then play the games that you're good at, yeah. right? Perfect example would be if I want to, let's say um, we get to choose on what we're going to do in training day and, and, and we're looking at winning, right? Yeah. And, and so I might say like, what I'm going to do, what, if, if, if this is a, a winning situation, yeah. whoever shows up to train, I'm going to be like, we should box yeah. because that's my circle of competence. Yeah. I think I've, I probably know a little bit more there and my, I increase my chances of winning from there. Right. Whereas you would probably show up and be like, no, today we're going to work on takedowns or we're going to work on grappling. And you would greatly increase your chances of being more dominant in those areas yeah. because your level of competence is so much. Yeah. And Finally, what you were talking about is that don't get sucked into the idea that you can't go outside of your circle of competence because there's always the ability to widen your circle of competence, but you have to understand that it's slowly and over time, right? Yeah. That's not something that, that, um, doesn't, you know, doesn't, you know, and a good example, I guess, would be like someone like Mayweather, right? Yeah. Like he understands the game it, yeah. that it is exactly why perfect example why he chose to box Conor McGregor as opposed to go into an MMA yeah, fight exactly. with Conor McGregor, right? He's yeah. choosing the games that give him the highest probability of winning. Yes. When you're investing, choose the games that you understand so well that success isn't guaranteed, but you've highly increased your probability of being successful. Yes. And when you're in jujitsu, not when you're training, because when you're training, that's when you want to experiment. That's when you want to yeah. widen your level of competence. Absolutely, yeah. But... If you got money on the line, if this is competition, yeah, yeah. then you're going to stick to doing what you do best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the best, the best fighters that you see are the ones that are able to implement their game on the other person. I mean, Khabib was, I think, the best example we've seen in MMA where it's like he was going to take somebody to the fence. He was going to single leg or double leg him. He was going to hold him down. He was going to punch the crap out of him and try and stop him. And nobody could. Nobody came close. And that was, to me, that's just understanding. He's like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to implement my game and they're not going to be able to stop it. And that's, 
I think the mark of a of a good investor, that's the mark of a good fighter, is being able to do that, sticking with that circle and understanding what that means and, and that those perceived limitations are not limitations at all. It's just understanding that you only have so much time, you only have so much energy, um, focus on what you do well, and you will actually have more of both by doing that. So, yeah, I liked it. Absolutely. So if anyone's that, that was a uh, excellent summary. If anyone is still um, not sure on how to be a better thinker using these models, one, you know, you should uh, obviously this is just touching the surface of it. You yeah. should this is probably just a primer, right? Like you should go Google it and research yeah. it. And, and there's a yeah. ton of uh, information out there on YouTube. But um, uh, just real quick, uh, the map is not the territory. How do you become a better thinker using that? Um, idea, you know, what you're going to want to do is assume the map has not shown you everything. Always assume that the map has not shown you everything and then you plan for it. That's how it makes you a better thinker, right? And then number two, when it comes to your circle of competence, if you want to, if, if we're, this is, this is mainly talking about winning and investing, winning in sports, it's about winning, right? When you're talking about circle of competence and you're going to want to play the games that you're competent at, the, the games that you're good at, because that's what's going to give you an edge over competition. That's what's going to increase the probability of you winning. So you got to, a lot of this requires a, an enormous amount of honesty with yourself, an yes. enormous amount of, of your ability to eliminate your ego and being like, this is what I know, this is what I don't know, and yeah. then stick to what you know, and you increase the probability of being successful yep. on the okay. mat. And in your bank account, hopefully. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. I cannot wait. I almost, yeah. I almost want to just keep talking about these mental yeah. models, but yeah. I still have a ton more of my own research that I need, yeah. I need to do. Yeah. But I, I, I love it. And 2022 is about happiness and becoming a better thinker. And and, yeah. and 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 I just know that those two things are also gonna be profitable for me. I think so too. I think so too. It's it's been it's been really fun, like you said, to kind of learn more about these things that. I've sort of known vaguely in an abstract idea what they were, but to really delve into them and then really reflect back on my own life and be like, well, how can I apply these to my life or, or where have I, where have I not? Um, uh, yeah. And, and next time I think we'll talk about first principles thinking, which uh, has been really, really interesting to, to learn more about on my end as well. So yeah. I'm, I think I'm, you would like that because you're, like you're, uh, you have a, a scientific background and that's really, uh, you know, I, I, I think, well, we won't get into it. We'll talk about it yeah, next time. But, yeah, but uh, I, and that's that that one's still yeah. kind of a hard for a uh, hard one for me to kind of like wrap it. That one requires an enormous amount of mental energy. And you don't yes. always want to use that model unless yep. you're making a very, very big decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it requires you to, to kind of deconstruct the entire idea. But we'll that get into it on the next time. Yeah. Check out. Yeah. Uh, this episode or to re-listen to our past episode you see how me and Carter will talk about this all day and we probably will talk yeah. about this after we uh, yeah. we, cut, we, we cut out of here but um, to check out this episode or our past episodes uh, go to the Jiu Jitsu of Life check us out on Apple iTunes like, review, subscribe shout out to Robles makers of the world's finest custom Jiu Jitsu apparel nobody can be you better than you be authentic Robles we make custom geese Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses check them out check out my boy Caleb Callista with his sneaky submissions check out Jiu Jitsu on the go with Steve Hordensky and check out Chaparral moving. They have moving down to a science. If you're in the Austin area, that is my brother and partner in crime, Carter Fisk. And as always, we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. 
This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Rulebliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rulebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat. <laughs>